I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool. Got it. What were we talking about? Deep dish pizza? (laughs) (laughs) Muffalato, deep dish pizza. (laughs) Y'all think so you can argue with your partner. Oh, Yeah. Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. Welcome to a special episode of Syndicate. Today we are diving into the upcoming film, What Did Deborah Do? To unpack this film, I'm accompanied by the director and writer, Julius Charles Ritter, and Deborah herself, Diana Melota. Welcome, you two. Thank you so much for coming out to Syndicate. Thank you for having us. Hello. So before we get into your film, I have to say I watched it and I was completely blown away. I absolutely loved the storyline and the art direction of this film. Like it was so cinematic and like so awesome looking. So I have to say, Julius, what inspired you to create a story like this? Uh, So this one was a little different than what I normally do. I wouldn't recommend this. Uh, We hadn't actually finished the story (laughs) before we started uh, making it, basically. So we started production before the story was actually complete. So some of the story was actually being written as we were filming it. Gotcha. Um, Which is, like I said, not the recommended way of doing it, but it worked very well for this particular project. Um, It was really a vehicle for Diana because... I think she's a very talented actress and I wanted her to helm a project and lead a project, which she did. And um, yeah, it was really just a vehicle for her. And then we got what did Deborah do? That is amazing. Like, I mean, you could have fooled me because like the, the story (laughs) was completely cohesive. Like there was nothing glaring about it. Like it was, it was a very concise, uh, beautifully told story about a dysfunctional relationship, uh, dysfunctional marriage. So, uh, Diana, how did you meet Julius? Julius, how did you meet Diana? Like this was a vehicle for her. This was her movie. How did this, how did this all come about? We met four years ago at a table read, but, uh, 
older sister and him are actually like childhood friends. Oh, wow. So I've known of Julius for like 20 years. Wow. That is, that is awesome. <laughs> that is amazing. So like, she's also my girlfriend and, uh, <laughs> there you go. Together. <laughs> there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. All that too. <laughs> <laughs> so Diana, like, you know, you portrayed, uh, Deborah on screen. So, what did you do to get into the mindset of Deborah? Like, was it challenging? Was it difficult? Like, what inspired you to create and, like, to flesh out this character? Um, I mean, a lot of it was just, like, almost like Julius and I would, like, come up with, like, uh, funny scenarios together. Like, imagine a person who just acts this way, and then you kind of build from there. But a character I really used as inspiration is Richie April from The Sopranos. Okay. Um, <laughs> I really did. Uh, I don't know. I like. I kind of approach like characters the same way of just doing character work of like their backstory, where are they from, like what's important to this person, like what do they believe in, what makes them work, what makes them tick, what like like just all the like inner workings, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah, because like Deborah, she's a very strong character and she's very like i mean you brought it to life like <laughs> i think we've all Thank encountered you. very problematic people in our lives and like you captured that perfectly on film like i was like this is a slice of life even though like in the film like uh i think deborah is like a screenwriter and her boyfriend is a screenwriter as well and she's like creating this script it's about a slice of life which mirrors the movie itself because this movie is a slice of life it's a slice of life of Deborah's life and you're portraying it and you did a great job. So kudos to you. So we talked about the film a little bit. So Julius, before we go any further, could you tell our listeners more about what did Deborah do the film? What is it all about? So I guess the short answer would be that Deborah is about a young woman who has just been institutionalized after having a violent encounter with her boyfriend. And she has just been released from her 5150, which is a 72-hour period where they hold you and uh, watch you. Uh, So she's just been released, and she's kind of trying to reconcile what happened with her boyfriend. So there's not really clear what she wants, which I think is sort of the point. Um, She's searching for some sort of reconciliation, but at the same time, I don't think she even knows what she wants. So I guess in a way it's about this young girl who's searching for closure Mm. from a very violent encounter that she's had. Right. Because like in the beginning of the film, it's a, it's very jarring opening where, you know, she's getting out of the hospital and you don't really know what the character did. And it's not even revealed until like later on in the movie, near the end of the movie. And it's just like, as the viewer, you are taken on a ride and you are on the ride with Deborah the entire time, because it's like, you're with her every step of the way as she's trying to both. I mean, we don't really know the context. Like she's trying to get reconciliation from like other people that she has wronged, but we don't really know what she did. And I was completely blown away to say the least. Like you did a great job with this film. Thank you. Like the pacing was absolutely perfect. And so let's, let's really get into this film. So like I noticed right away, that your film is broken up into chapters like what inspired you to to go that route 
of the chapters. So I feel like you kind of make the movie twice. You know what I mean? When you make it, it's one thing. And then when you get into the edit, it kind of becomes something different. And that's something that we actually found in the edit that wasn't actually intended uh, before. So once we started watching it, uh, I started doing more research on these 5150 holds that people uh, have to deal with. And I found this, uh, I guess it's like a booklet that they give you after your release. And it had these three steps of uh, reconciliation. And as soon as I saw those, it immediately clicked. Like these need to be the chapters of the movie have to be these steps. Right. And once I put them in, it was like as if it should have been there the whole time. Isn't it funny how like a film just like finds life in the editing process? It's like, Oh, it completely yeah. Yeah, it evolves into something completely different. Sometimes most of the time for the better, honestly, like I said, it all worked together. And like the little, um, uh, sub chapters, not the sub chapters, but like, the titles of these chapters, like I was reading them. I'm like, where, where is this from? And like, yeah. it makes sense that it's from that booklet, uh, that, uh, these psych wards give to their patients. Like it, it totally makes sense. And it's kind of funny because out of context, they are almost comedic in a way. When you read them in the context of the film, yes. they almost lend a comedic value that they don't when you read them in this little, uh, this little textbook. I'm glad you said that because like, there's a sense of irony with all of these chapter titles, it's like, you know, we have fear without nonviolent uh, coexistence <laughs> and, you know, build confidence through trust, develop empathy. And it's like, is she doing is these that, actions or is it the opposite? What, what's happening right now? Yeah, I don't think she's really taking those steps properly, which is funny because I think one of the last lines uh, she's asked by the therapist if she's taking the proper steps towards getting better and like her answer is so clearly fake when she says <laughs> yes like yeah right we've just watched you for 68 minutes and not follow any of those steps. yeah she's like accosting people she's robbing people she's beating people up and i'm like she's homeless she's <laughs> i love deborah she's Me she's too. doing what she can do so like diana like what was it like to embody this character uh, during filming? How how long did filming take for this? How long did you have to live with this character? Um, we shot it in six days over the course of like what two months? So it was just like weekends oh, yeah. over two months. Um, it was so fun. It was so freeing. It was so awesome to just like have full permission to play someone who's really flawed and. I don't know, just like wild card, unexpected. You could kind of go wherever you want with her. Like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The actors were so so great because like she said, we we split it up six days over um, a bunch of weekends. So it was, you know, you get four or five days off, which I know could have been such a nightmare for an actor to have to stretch out their performance over, you know, these weekends where we could get people to work for us. I will so say props to Diana and all the other actors. Oh yeah. Like Diana, you hit it out of the park and like your other actors, like they were phenomenal too. Great. Like uh, the actor who played Benny, uh, uh, Deborah's best friend, uh, mm-hmm. Ben Farrell, like he was good. Like fantastic. Yeah. He, like if I were to describe him, he was like, I don't know, a young Jesse Eisenberg or like a young Michael Sarah. Like I could see those breadcrumbs there in his performance. I'm like, Oh, this is good. He's kind of like 
the awkward friend, but he wants to help Debra. But like Debra is like, like you said, Diana, a wild card. And it's like, <laughs> how much effort do I want to put into this person? Am I going to get burned? Am I going to like, yeah. save her? Like, well, let's see what's going on. So like, he's being a good friend and like Benny, uh, Ben, like portrayed it perfectly in my opinion. That's great too. Yeah. I think awesome. his, his yeah. character is so important because that's how I feel about best friends. You know what I mean? When you grow up with somebody that you've been that close with, you can't abandon them when they make mistakes. So yeah, you don't turn really your cool back that, on yeah, the fact that he really sticks with her through thick and thin, and then they have that end scene. It gets me every time. Yeah. Like you perfectly illustrated like a friendship like that, because like yeah. Deborah has some major issues, big issues. And like <laughs> Benny is like the anchor that's like, you mm-hmm. know, keeping her, you know, afloat. And it's like, without Benny, who knows what Deborah would have done. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that reinforces. Can... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I, was, I love how he can like um, mitigate, like they have this mm-hmm. fun together, but when she starts to go off the rails, he's the only one that can pretty much deal with it until they have the argument scene. Like he he sees when she's starting to like trap him into some argument or go on some like crazy thing and he's able to just like dodge it. Everyone has their limits though, right? <laughs> yeah, so every now and then he he gives it right back to you, which is great. I really like that scene a lot. Yeah, he does he doesn't he's not just a punching bag. Like he exactly. he can hold his own, which is very important. Like when dealing with somebody like Deborah, who's like very firm, very fiery, and it's like you need someone to temper that fire, and Benny has the huspa to do that. The huspa. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, but you know, other than that core dynamic relationship in the film, we have kind of like the main focus, which is Deborah and her husband Chris. So like, we've only get like the information through flashbacks, mostly in the beginning of these chapters. And like it flash forwards to like today and it like shows like what Deborah's uh, working through because of those events that happened before. Like, what was it like constructing that relationship, like illustrating a dysfunctional marriage? I guess when you play a character, you like can't really judge her. So I was kind of always on the Deborah side with playing her. <laughs> but I, I mean, the writing is so strong that it was really helpful to me. It's like you see these cues when she's trying to get through to him, when she's trying to like show him something she's passionate about and he's just brushing her off. He doesn't seem to care. He's very like, I don't know, like you could see why there would be dysfunction. It wasn't hard to get mad at Chris in those situations, I guess. Right. Because like, as, as the story's unfolding, like, it's like, what, what, what is her problem? Like, is she like being the aggressor? But then you realize that, Chris is yeah. very absent in the marriage. Like he is not there for her. And it's like these two, like we have one toxic person, which is Deborah, And like Chris is like completely non, non-existent in the relationship. So it's like. Which I think can be equally as toxic on the yes. other side of the spectrum, which is yeah. why they're, they're complete toxic people, both of them, I think. But they're just on opposite ends of the spectrum of toxicity. Yeah. Which is a recipe for a complete disaster. I I agree with that, Julius, because like you have the fiery, uh, like combativeness with Deborah, and like you have like 
a guy that just puts his head in the sand and he just doesn't care. And it's like yeah. the, the commute, the communication line is completely severed. Like we have one guy that's not even attempting to communicate. And then Deborah's yep. like screaming at him the whole time. And it's like, yeah. exactly. this isn't working. No one wants to solve anything. No one wants to, you know, compromise or go in the middle ground. It's like life or death constantly with them. Yeah, exactly. And more yeah. importantly, we filmed this at our apartment, so I'm pretty sure our neighbors think we're the ones in the dysfunctional relationship. <laughs> based, based on all the screaming scenes with Deborah and Chris, I'm pretty sure they think like, "Wow, they have the same argument six Holy takes in a row." It's pretty strange. That's so just put signs up like, "Please don't mind the filming." All over. Our <laughs> yeah, exactly. We are filming. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Well, I feel bad for your neighbors. <laughs> I did too during those weekends. Oh definitely. Yeah. Well. Well, then that means that some of my neighbors were filming too. Like I, I hear them filming. You know what I mean? So like, it's a, it's a good excuse. Oh, they're just filming. Don't worry. They're filming. They weren't really fighting. We were just filming. And, you know, I was really inspired from a marriage story. So like, I wanted to make my own version of that. I put a hole in my wall for art. <laughs> it's like, oh man, like I don't know if you guys have been there, but I've been there. I was living at this apartment and like my neighbors, I could audibly hear the entire fight. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. and I'm like, oh my God. They're like, fuck you. I'm breaking up with you. And then they wouldn't break up. And I'm like, oh, okay. They're you clowns. probably should. You should leave like a letter on their door. Like, I think I had that same problem you said. at an apartment. Oh yeah, the guy upstairs. Yeah, he was like, and he was that so guy was whacked out. Yeah, he'd be screaming at his girlfriend the first thing in the morning. Holy it shit, it was insane. Yeah, and he was a teacher. Oh my god. Yeah, I had to go upstairs to, you know, not to like do anything. I was just kind of knocking on the door to be like, man, be quiet. It's seven a.m. I'm trying to sleep. And he's like, you don't have a job. I'm a teacher. Like, like just because you're dealing with schedule, I don't have a job. You have no idea what I do. My God, <laughs> it was insane. I'm like, this is this yeah. man's teaching our children. That is nuts. Yeah, yeah I mean, wild man. People are crazy. He's like Deborah. He's just like Deborah, and yeah, like, he's like a yeah. male Deborah, a male Deborah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like saying shit that doesn't even make sense, but just angrily. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, okay, we should make the new vernacular. Like we had Karen for a while. I think we should I, make I was Deborah. Up. <laughs> I agree. You're getting a little yeah. Deborah on me here. <laughs> Okay, Deborah. Hide the scissors. She's getting Deborah. <laughs> so, like, this movie, like, I, it took twists and turns I didn't expect. Um, because, like, it showed the flashback and, like, it just broke my heart because, like, their, their relationship would be working. Like, every relationship has its ups and downs and it has a good and the bad. And the good doesn't outweigh the bad and the bad doesn't outweigh the good. But it's like, they're both there. They're both present. And it's like, they would have this nice tender moments. It's like, oh, they love each other. And then it it's ruined. Like Chris mm-hmm. is being stupid. And then Deborah starts screaming at him. It's like, what is happening? And it becomes, you know, nearly a fist fight every single time they <laughs> argue. Yeah, I thought it was important to make sure that you know, it's not all bad all the time. Right. There has to be that contrast so that you can see like, okay, I understand maybe why these people were together at one point and they've both outstayed their welcome at this point. Exactly. Right. Otherwise, like, why are they still together? Exactly. Yeah. Like I felt uh, the relationship was very authentic because I see a lot of movies and it's like, your film isn't very 
it's not conventional, I would say. It, it's very... It breaks the mold because, like, you would expect, like, the formula where it's, like, rising action. And then they have a conflict, but then they get back together in the end. And it's, like, your film is, like, real. Like, it feels real. Like, both in, like, the filming style and the writing and, like, the dialogue and the acting. It just feels very authentic because, like, not all endings are happy. Not all relationships work. And I don't want to, like, spoil the last beats of the film, but it's, like... It gets this cathartic moment with, with Deborah, and it's like, I'm getting to the end of the film, and I'm like, what is happening? What is going to happen? Is it going to resolve itself? And, like, your ending was bold, I do have to say. Thank you so much. We were, you know, we were watching so much French New Wave at the time. Oh. I think we were, like, highly inspired by that, which is par- probably part of the reason why we kind of started executing the film before the script was done, because we were like, oh, yeah. It'd be very good guard here and not not smart lots Don't of agnes barda yeah so i think that had something to do with the uh style of storytelling on this particular one very nice yeah i mean i could tell um because like your film has a very timeless feel to it which i think was smart because like it doesn't feel like it's contemporary it doesn't feel like it's old it's, it's just like this aesthetic of like I don't know, 1970s grain. Did you shoot on film or was it like, was it digital? No, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have a very good colorist who gave us a very nice film grain package. Uh, if nice. I could have, I would have shot it on 60 millimeter, but you know, this wasn't in the cards, unfortunately. We actually shot it all on one lens too, which was wow, ridiculous. We shot it all on a 50 millimeter lens. Um, I was kind of inspired by Ozu. We were watching some of his films and I was like, oh, well, if he can shoot all his films on a 50 millimeter lens, then we could just shoot one film. And it proved to be a lot more difficult than I had anticipated. <laughs> you know, trying to fit in the back seat on that 50 millimeter lens and oh still God. have focus. Because mm-hmm. I was also While operating, we're holding which a light. Was, yeah, exactly. I had actors holding lights, uh, you know, wow. when I'm not doing their coverage. It was insane. Um, like, and I had to operate the camera too, which was really difficult to mold performances. And, you know, I just, I give the actors all the credit because I was there just to, say basically it's faster or slower because I couldn't really give them any specific direction because when you're operating, you're kind of just more, you know, worried about the frame than you are the acting. It's really difficult to concentrate on both. Right. Yeah. But you really helped us because you made sure we had locked in rehearsals, like not just blocking, but before that you gave us plenty of rehearsals. We got to like ask you questions, go over notes, like, and I feel like in those rehearsals is when we all really found our character. So the day of filming, we could just fly because we were confident that, like, we worked this out with you. Yeah, if I can give any advice to indie filmmakers, it's just, like, prep as much as you can. Because I did at least three rehearsals with them. One was a blocking rehearsal. One was a script rehearsal. One was a lighting rehearsal just for me and my my, uh, my guy on camera. So it was, like, everything was ready to go and pre-baked before we even got to our days. So gotcha. there was no scrambling. We knew where the light was going to go for this scene. We knew what the blocking was. Everything was locked in which makes your days go by so much faster, uh, which is super necessary when you're shooting like, you know, 10 to 15 pages. 15 pages. Yeah. Which is just insane. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. Uh, Well, it's good that you had a plan going into it. Um, That reminds me of a story. Have you seen the show Euphoria? Yeah. The first season. Yeah. I watched the first season as well. Gotcha. Well, season two, uh, Sam Levinson, um, many reports of like, he didn't have 
the key the key frames plotted out. He didn't really have a plan for how he wanted the film or the show to look aesthetically and mm-hmm. extremely long days. Cause like, yeah, like, okay, let's happens. figure it out. And it's like, you had a plan. It's like, this is what I want. This is going to go here. So, yeah. I mean, and you bring in a small indie crew that's kind of, you know, on set for less than it, what they normally quote and you're handing them 14 to 16 pages and they look at you like you're out of your mind and they're just thinking like this guy's gonna keep me here all fucking night <laughs> and to be, to, to be able to like send them home early and make our days was just it was like such a cool moment and it's funny after you get like one or two days like that under your belt you know they'll, they'll go to bat for you and they will do overtime for you because you know i think if you respect the crew they really respect the project, which is also very important, I think. Yeah, like, there was a lot of... Yeah, I could totally tell, like, there was a lot of respect uh, from the actors, from the crew, just, like, just in the story that was being... Because, like, everyone gave it their all. I felt like that. It felt yeah. like everyone gave it their all, especially with some of the stunts in the film. I was surprised to see oh. that. <laughs> so, that is my... That is my One DP, take. actually. Not for this particular film, but he's the DP that I'm working with on my next film. Really? Um... Yeah, he's incredible. He's a great actor, uh, a really talented DP, and apparently he's an amateur stuntman as well. <laughs> yeah, so we didn't get that one approved we by tag, him. unfortunately. <laughs> like, all right, we got one of these takes. And when you look at my reaction and Ben's reaction in that, we are not fucking acting. Yes, <laughs> their, like, their reactions okay? are 100% authentic. Like, did he break something? And like, there's a point in the scene where I'm almost like, holy shit, okay, you're still acting. So I run to go get the jacket. And after we cut, Ben was like, I only knew to keep going because you like went to grab the jacket and finish out the scene. We were just like, okay, yeah. do we stop here? And trying to operate on that, I was so nervous. I had so much anxiety that I was going to miss it because I knew I, I couldn't, you know, say cut and be like all right let's do that one more time let me uh let me have you get and the camera was the running out of battery yeah and the camera ran out of battery of the course. second after the stunt was over oh my god because the, the yeah you know we use the black magic and the mm-hmm. batteries on that thing uh not too good and i wasn't plugged in and i just got it thank goodness i just got it the cinema gods were shining <laughs> upon us at that moment which was like kind of the whole movie it felt like and we had said it every time we were doing production, it just felt like everything was kind of rooting for us and the universe was really working towards helping us get this film done because all those little problems that you normally have, if they did happen, they were so easily solved and everybody was so on board. Uh, I just can't thank the crew enough. They were amazing. We had different sound guys every single day. Really? And one of my, one of my sound guys kind of went both ways as a sound guy as well as a grip gaff combo. So... It was just really cool, man. We had a really, really good crew on this. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so sick. Yeah, that scene was so surprising because, like, I didn't expect a full-on stunt crew to come in. And uh, to describe it, there was a fight scene, and someone gets punched over a table <laughs> as if it was like Indiana Jones. Just went poof, and like this guy went, goes flying, and like Diana, I noticed like you and uh, Ben. Your two reactions, like you were just like you, you froze, and I was like, "This is a very interesting acting choice." <laughs> no, but that was real. They were, they I was were like, "Are you alive?" <laughs> Seriously. Oh uh, yeah, that was that was awesome. Like that was that was pretty sick. <laughs> I like how it works because it's almost like uh, Benny and Deborah's characters are like, "What the 
fuck did we just do? Like, did we intend to push it this far? Like, and the fact that she gets so that good. out of Benny and he kind of he kind of goes to her side at one point. You know what I mean? It's just I, I find it so comedic for some reason. The fact that he slugs up. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. God, yeah, like, like, dude, like Benny, Benny has an arm on him. I didn't expect that. He does. He sure does. So, like, you talked about you talked about nearly losing the shot, having your black magic run out of batteries, and so, like, did anything else? Were there any other hiccups with the production of this, like, or was it pretty smooth sailing? Um, like I said, like there were issues, but they were, you know, we threw water on them and they were out. You know what I mean? It was it yeah. was very smooth in comparison to what most productions are, because I would say it was bumpy as hell. But it was smooth in comparison. So um, I can't think of any specific problems we had now. Looking back, um, maybe you remember some. Uh, I just think of that one moment where uh, I forgot I dropped the lines with Chris with Ramsey who plays Chris oh, right, right. in the car scene where they're arguing outside of the uh, movie theater. But then we picked it up the next day. We, we like forgot like some of the lines in the car, and then we're supposed to have like a whole dialogue. Car takes off, we go. But then we just fit that in the next day. I don't know. I think that's cool. we couldn't fit scripty in the car with us, unfortunately. So we skipped a whole chunk of dialogue that was super necessary for the scene. And I was like, "Oh my goodness, I don't." And then the camera ran out of battery. Oh my and we god! Just couldn't pick it up. So we we had to move that one conversation to the next day at the end of the day. So we went and picked it up the next day, which, like I said, in comparison to a lot of things that happen on a production, that's that's mild. That, that was child's play. That was easy. Yeah, that was the most I could think of. But if you watch the scene, I think it's split into two days, so that's pretty cool. Like I said, you're a master in the editing bay because I couldn't tell it all. Like it all, it all made sense to me. I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a movie. <laughs> yeah, post post production was tough too. I would also not recommend editing your own film. It it gets a little dicey at some point. It's like I burned you out a little bit. I do like sitting in the chair, but I think it's good to have maybe like an assistant editor to help you with some of the heavy lifting and the uh, technical stuff. Yeah, uh, as an actor, stay out of the editing room. <laughs> I yeah. would just stay out. Because hearing my own voice and watching my own thing take after take, I was just like, oh my god, put in headphones when you edit this shit because it's driving you up the wall. And <laughs> I have an editing bay at our apartment, yeah. so it's kind of hard to keep her out because she's also a producer on the film. So she'd come in with her producer hat, like, let me see what you're working with here, kid. And I'm like, oh no, you can't watch the takes because you're gonna 
you're going to choose the ones where, you know, <laughs> that I don't like, and then we're going to have an issue here. I'm going to be arguing with a, uh, my producer now. No, I feel like, thing. but I feel like I always went for the acting. Like, on the stage. Keep but the I guess actors out of the editing thing. That's all I can say. <laughs> Keep the actors out of there. What are you doing, kid? This sucks. Why don't you use this take? Yeah. She's blowing cigar smoke in my face. I'm like, hey, I'm trying to work here, man. <laughs> This is my movie too. I'm the producer. Yeah, I like that take. So you take two. <laughs> Luckily, we only had uh, at most three takes because we didn't have the time for you know four, mm-hmm. five, and six. So it was three takes or bust for us. Very nice. So Julius, I don't know about you, but like as a creative, I feel your pain because like, do you feel like it's never done? Like you're editing oh. and editing a project, and it's <laughs> yes. like this is never done. It's, I'm Absolutely. never going to be happy with this. I, I still don't feel like it's done and there's no changing it now. You know what I mean? I think everybody feels that way. Yeah. I think that's why George Lucas goes back and retouches Star Wars every 10 years and <laughs> adds more creatures. It's like, damn it, if I just had one more creature in that frame. Um, it never ends, man. It's, yeah. it's weird. Um, it's like uh, at some point you just need to say, okay, it is what it is. I'm, I'm in love with this this version of it. So this has to be the final version. And, right. um if you, you know, it, you'll torture yourself going back and wanting to change it. So I've been pretty good with this one. Um, once it was locked, I was, I was happy with it. And I, I was like, okay, I'm going to, awesome. I'm going to stop tweaking it. I think we got it. Um, but yeah, it's always a process of getting there. It is like, you have to like walk away. Don't look at oh, it yeah. for like a few days, return to it. Oh, Do yeah. I still like it? Well, yeah, you hate it. Yeah. Sometimes you, you sit there and you go, I hate this. And then you wait oh, yeah. for like three hours and you come back and I'm like, this is beautiful. What am I talking about? Yeah. Then you get stuck in weird, the weeds. Man. Then you need a fresh pair of it's eyes hard. to look at it. It's like, oh man, I'm so stupid. Why didn't I do it this way? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a whole lot of What that. is it? Like being an artist is absolute narcissism or complete self-deprecation. Like something like that. You're yeah. On either side of the scale. Yeah. There's no, there's no in between. <laughs> yeah. That's why time constraints is like pretty important i think when it comes to like the creative process because like you need to stop like you need to just yeah. walk away and be like all right look at your watch oh, it looks good and just leave yeah we and gave, like, a, we gave ourselves a deadline we, quarter, we sort of gave ourselves like soft deadlines which i think like yeah. you said are very very important because you'll end up tweaking something for Forever. months to a years who knows you know what i mean like that's how bad it gets sometimes you just want to yeah. keep tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking <clears> it or like george lucas for 40 years yeah like come on man yeah i like the ori- I, I like just the originals without all the additions you know but that's not my so, creative like, vision i en- envisioned fart <laughs> jokes in this scene it's like what what's happening george oh george i love you george george is the best <laughs> he really is man i love uh i love th11138 i think that film is so awesome it's very 60s I really love that movie. yeah yeah, and I just, I'm a huge Duvall fan. I think Robert Duvall is one of our greatest actors who doesn't get enough love. Oh, there you go. I mean, he does in the right circles, but I don't think the young people uh, appreciate Robert Duvall the way they should. No, because like his day, heyday was in the 70s. And like I think people yeah. now don't really look at 70s cinema. They mostly look at 80s, oh. 90s, and like contemporary stuff. But like not a lot of people come like the all 70s. the You hear all the classic names. You hear, you know, Brando and Newman. But you I was going to say, 70s, you could uh, argue, is like one of the best decades for cinema i feel like i agree absolutely yeah they had all the 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 auteurs during that decade they had yeah the kubricks you got the coppolas 
You got yep. the Spielbergs. Like, yep. that's when like, cinema was at. Jack Nicholson. Just yes. Uh, I'm so, yeah, I'm so bummed that we're not going to any, anything else from Jack, man. He's one of my favorite Al actors Al Pacino, man, you got shit like Panic and Needle Park coming out. Where's that? So, Julius, we talked a lot about Deborah, and we're going to get off the fence because I have some questions about Deborah. She's quite a character. But before we get there, <laughs> when is your movie coming out? Uh, that's a good question. So we're currently uh, being shopped around to some distributors. So uh, I guess we're just sort of waiting to hear back from them. And then based on what happens with uh, those meetings, I guess we'll go from there. Okay. Um, if I, I, I would assume that if we don't get distribution, that maybe we'll self-distribute. And then I would hope that it would just be on, you know, all platforms streaming. Um, I would love to do some sort of, you know, uh, festival circuit. We're thinking about, you know, going to slam dance, maybe. Um, and a couple other film festivals that we were researching. Uh, Sundance? The producer, yeah, that's what some of the producers <laughs> said. They were like, yeah, you should do Sundance. I'm like, you know, you hear Sundance and you're like, hang on a minute. <laughs> Hold up. Do, do I, I want to set, my, uh, yeah, do I wanna set myself up for this kind of uh, right. let down and disappointment? But I mean, sure, Sundance, no big deal. Yeah, we're biased because we're so close to the film, but the fact that, you know, outside people are watching it and think that we're even... Um, a contender? Yeah, a contender to like even submit to Sundance is uh, really humbling and cool. Well, that's awesome. Contender. Yeah, there's, there's, I totally think it's, bro, it's good enough. It's so good. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a finely <laughs> crafted so film. Thank you. <laughs> like, that's uh, so kind of you, man. Like, I've seen, I've seen some shitty movies. Your movie oh. is not shitty, it's really good. Thank you so much, Thank man. I, so much. We really appreciate that. And I, I have also seen some very shitty movies. And <laughs> oh, it's funny, when you start making movies, those shitty movies, uh, you appreciate them so much more because you're like, it's difficult to make a bad movie. It is. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if mm -hmm. someone just finished the movie, I have such respect for them. And, you know, in my opinion, you make one good movie, to me, you're fucking, you're amazing. You know what I mean? I just love the bad movies that are completely bad because like the director or like whoever the creative visionary is for the project is so like inept in everything and thinks this is a good idea. I've seen yeah, plenty of You those. get a lot more of those nowadays. There's a lot of that. It's so much easier to make movies. It just blows my mind. I'm like, you thought this was, and you finished the film and you released the film. It's like, oh my God. I know. It's like, does it not go through enough people or is it a lack of taste or like, you know, wouldn't you like see the shit that came before you and be like, well, I have a standard. And if I'm not at least hitting here, what am I doing? No, not everyone has that. I'm glad, I'm glad that they're confident. That's all I can say. I'm, I'm happy. No, like you said, it is hard to even make a movie. So. It is hard. I wish I was so confident. I, I wish I was so confident and <laughs> had no shame. I don't think so. I think your shame keeps you cool. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Your shame makes you uh, a better director. It's like, I know better. I can do better than this. Yeah, it keeps you in check. Yes. Yeah, exactly how you're saying how you feel about watching those films is how I feel when I like show friends my films. Like, I feel like that's what they're saying. Like, wow, you, you took all your time to make this piece of shit. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Look at this cute little movie you thought you could Yeah, exactly. It's still yeah. so insecure about it. No matter, no matter how many other people tell you it's good, you're still like... No, we showed one of, of our friends. Still. Oh, boy. Yeah. We, we showed one of our friends, and he just got up after 
and was like, good night, guys. And went home. He didn't say anything. Fin- finished his wine, gave us a hug, and said, okay, goodbye. Oh, boy. I don't, I don't know if he liked we the first like, cut. We were like, what the fuck? Well, it was a very rough cut, though. All right. I'll see you guys very later. Rough cut. So I think that's another lesson. Not even, like, Be good careful job with those rough cuts. It. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh but God. it was good to see the rough cut because then Ramsey, who plays Chris, gave us like great notes. We're like, okay, this is how yeah, we book as a movie. Exactly. So we had like a we had a uh, another uh, day of filming where we actually added some things that we felt were missing after seeing the rough cut, and um, that viewing actually really really helped with yeah. that process because if it wasn't for that viewing, you know, like I said, we're so close to it that you need, like you said, outside eyes to mm-hmm. you know look at it and tell you what's right about it and you know, you gotta suck up your pride and hear what's wrong about it. Right. Oh, yeah. We luckily there wasn't too much wrong with it, and everything they said, I think deep down we already knew, and it just reinforced that, like, yeah, we we should maybe add this. And it only took one more day of filming, and we did it, and it really just that, that was the moment like that it really came together. Now. Yeah. yeah. So the okay, so if I'm getting this correct, the bookends was done last. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what put the whole movie together, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it great? So we had originally uh, had that as an idea to have these bookends and even a middle slice of bread as well, um, and then we we kind of nixed it near the end because of a few different reasons. I don't know if you if you want to listen to all the boring reasons, but we had a few I'm different ready. reasons why we took it out. <laughs> so one was I didn't have an actor playing the therapist at first. The way I had wanted to do these scenes was you only feel the therapist. You see the therapist's hands, you see the therapist's notebook, but you never actually see the therapist. You just hear the voice of the therapist and the camera is locked on Deborah the entire time. Like Uh, Vegas. Yeah. And we also decided that I was going to write that those sides the day before filming this. Oh my God. So I wrote the sides the day before filming and I played the therapist off screen and I mean, again, props to the actors for putting up with such bullshit. She she definitely brought it home and it was good, but it just did not work within the context of the film. So we nixed it. You're being generous. It wasn't it. I, mean, I was telling you, just like, dude, no, we're not putting this in the fucking movie. We gotta figure something out. It didn't turn out the way I had, we had it imagined, right? So um, we went back and we, we, we took it out and then we did the, you know, the screening of the rough cut and we were like, you know what? It Ramsey, the guy who plays Chris, actually was like, you know what? I think it needs those bookends. And we were like, all right, I think what we need to do is just do one extra day and do those therapy scenes the right way. So mm-hmm. we, we booked another day, found a location, and um, did them the right way. Gina was so, great, too, as a therapist. Yeah, we got Gina. She, got the so she, was, she was good. Just awesome. She's incredible. Really love her. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean... We've all been there. It's like you have this vision in your mind. And it's like, this is how I'm picturing it. And then you do it. And it's like, it didn't turn out how I pictured it yeah. in my head. Exactly. <laughs> womp, yeah. Womp, womp. yeah, well, that's what happens again. Prepare. This was not prepared. We, you know, yeah. the day before decided to wedge it in. And that's what happens. You know what I mean? When you're not prepared and you try to wedge something in that quickly. And it doesn't normally turn out that great. So once we retooled and did it the right way, it really made the yeah. sense. So how'd you start the film? Did it start with like the car sequence? Like before the bookends? The first thing? Um, so it, it had originally... Going to Coral, right? Yeah, it had originally started 
uh, I think with the car ride and a a voiceover of her being released. I believe that was the original opening. Um, again, we were trying to abbreviate everything because we didn't have much money to make the film. So anytime I could say, hey, let's fucking chop that location, chop this uh, need for an actor. Anytime we could do that, we were doing it. Um, and I was like, you know what? I don't think we can get a location that is a therapy location, get a, a an actor in time that can play this therapist. So the way we had wanted to run it was just to have this like kind of voiceover over top the uh, car riding scene in the beginning with the credits. Obviously, that's not how it worked out, but yeah. that was the original opening. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you actually filmed that scene because it ma- it made a huge difference. It made an enormous it, difference. Yeah. Yeah. Like it felt like a scene out of the Joker. I don't know if you were going <laughs> like for those said, vibes. Yeah. I was like, the only thing missing was a little small cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, yeah, that would have been a character moment for Deborah. If she we had smoked. we had actually dabbled with her being like a, a chain smoker, but I was like, you know what? I don't want our house to be just filled <laughs> with cigarette smoke constantly. <laughs> I know. So I think we're gonna just forget about that aspect of the character. You can imagine Deborah smokes her cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, she's probably on the the patch or something at this point. Right, anger was her drug of choice. That was her vice. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. That was her. I fuel mean, that's for her sure. life force. Don't we know people like that? Yeah, well, yeah, for some people, I think Deborah's like the only way you can feel like important or listened to sometimes. Like people don't know how else to communicate or to feel power. It has to be like through rage or through like scaring someone into taking you seriously. Yeah, especially when you don't feel listened to. Right. Exactly. You get right. You get louder. Exactly. You get more pronounced. Yep. Okay, Julius, <laughs> Diana, I have some questions. Let's get off the fence. So after watching this movie, you know, I want, I want to pick your brains a little bit. So in your opinion, just, just you, Julius, watching the movie, do you think Deborah is redeemable after all she put Chris through and his family through? Do you think she's redeemable? I do, yes, I do. I think she's redeemable. I don't think that she's going to stray very much from the path that she is going down. Um, I think with the help of Benny, she can have a manageable life. Um, if I'm being realistic, I don't think Deborah has the greatest time after this film. Mm. I think, I, I mean, are you chasing a sequel right now? Oh God, no. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I just, I think she's redeemable as a character, uh, mainly because I know people like that, that, you have to deal with things because they're family or they're friends. And uh, what's good about Deborah is I think you know what you're going to get, which sometimes to me is the most important thing about somebody. You know exactly what you're going to get when, you, when you're with Deborah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're not really going to be surprised. You spent a week with her, that's probably what you're going to get for a lifetime. So in that way, I think she's redeemable if you know what you're dealing with. If you're a bull rider and you're riding the bull, you know what to expect. So... If, if she has a lot of bull riders <laughs> on her side, I think she'll be all right. <laughs> I just love that. What about you, Diana? Do you think she's redeemable? Uh, yeah, I do. I think the same thing, though. I don't think she uh, is going to change because I don't think that Deborah thinks that there's anything inherently wrong with her. I think that she's more upset and offended that other people don't get how she operates and have a problem with her way of being. I think that's where she's like, 
I'll make amends so that you like me, I guess. Or like, she feels absolved of any guilt, but not because it's necessarily the right thing to do or because she's realizing like the error of her ways. I don't think she really has that. But yeah, she's sure. She's redeemable. <laughs> if she has people to hold her accountable. Yes. I think that's I think she'll, most important. I think she'll be yeah. better off. Because yeah. I don't think like she's, she's vicious and sometimes just like crazy and hard to deal with and really mean but i don't i don't think anything she does ever comes from a place of like wanting to purposely like really hurt someone it's like always just like selfish like if it affects them negatively whatever like it's for her self-interest but it's not because she's like enjoying putting through someone like through pain so i guess in that way she's redeemable yeah, she's not sadistic in all of her antics. It's she's trying to gain something. Exactly. And she's just not yeah, she's not going about it the right way, but yeah. Yeah. You can also say that she's just surviving the world that she's yeah. in. In a very not constructive way, but you know, she's doing her best. And I these think people she's that she surrounded herself with, you know, Chris isn't a good partner. His family does not like her. And this <laughs> yeah. is kind of her pseudo family that she's built for herself. She's right. some, she's somehow, you know, nested to the wolf that's yeah. nested with these chickens. And she's wondering why it's not working out. <laughs> you know, she, she's a nest with some other wolves. And I think Benny's got a little right. wolf in him. So that's her support system. Not like it's Chris's fault, but if he did read the script, I mean, would they have gotten into a fight? Come on. She's aggressive. He's passive aggressive. Totally. Yes. Oh my god. Never, never. Even like Peter Jackson can deal with Deborah. The guy, the Peter she meets at the bar. Peter Jackson, the director of Lord of the Rings. I know. (laughs) (laughs) The audience, if they're listening, are going to be very confused. Wait, wait. Peter Jackson's in the movie. Peter Jackson is in this film. Peter Jackson Jackson is in this film. I can't believe you got Peter Jackson in this film. (laughs) Peter Jackson from Pacoima. <laughs> yeah, he's not the Lord of the Ring. You know, he just directed Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Every time he introduces himself and he says Peter Jackson, it makes me cackle. I don't know why. It cracks me up. Peter so random. I loved it. It's extremely random. Who knows where that came from? But a lot of people are like that. They're like, they share a name of a famous person. They're like, I fucking hate yeah. it. I was probably inspired by like Office Space or something like this. Yes. Name Michael Bolton. Yes. What's your favorite song? Um, you know, just kind of like all of them. Kind of like all of them. <laughs> Why should I change my name? He's the one who sucks. <laughs> Classic man. So okay, so Deborah's redeemable, but would you forgive Deborah if you're in Chris's shoes? If you're in Carl's shoes, the dad of Chris, like, would you forgive Deborah? Me? You? No. Yes. Hell no. <laughs> the woman is insane. Would you forget? I don't have Deborah? any time for, I have no time for people like that in my life. Definitely not. Yeah, she's, she was bad. She's bad. Yeah, I was like, fuck that. Have, a, have a good life. Yeah. Keep me out of it, please. Fuck no, I would not I forget Deborah. to deal with. No. Yeah, I wouldn't forgive her either. Like, I've I've dealt with some pretty insane people and you just you just cut them out and be like, "You know what? Good for you. I don't want anything part of this. Like just go away. Like fuck you. Exactly. Go fuck yourself." Yeah, you like, do to help people like that a lot of the time. You're just putting yourself at risk. Like uh, I'll forgive you to take the chance on what that you're not going to like try and ruin my life again. No yeah. thing. Well, it's like a lifeguard where they try to save someone from drowning and they end up almost getting drowned by the person they're trying to save. Right. 
because oh, they're you know, panicking. You know? Yeah, so so I mean, situations. it's big on Chris and Carl, and you know the whole family of like even attempting because like they have no reason to even give her any time of day after what what she no. did, and no. you know it had disastrous results. <clears throat> uh, so I mean, good for them for being the bigger people, but also you should uh, watch out. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, Chris was stuck because he was in a relationship, and uh, his brother was definitely the one who was not putting up with her shit at any point. It seems like Carl was just like, "I see right through this, and I am not dealing with it." And then I think Michelle, his wife, represents the opposite side of being uh, too forgiving and too understanding, even when somebody doesn't necessarily deserve it. So I yeah. think you get all those people in one uh, in one movie. Yeah, and it's uh, it's quite a spectacle to see. I do have to say. Yeah, it all culminates with that dinner scene where every uh, all those personalities are at one table, and then you can see how that can spin out of control very quickly. Yeah. So we reach the end of the show, and I am looking forward to when this film comes out. You have to let me know so I can tell people and direct them towards the film because I think this is definitely a film worth watching, and you did a fantastic job. Thank you so much. Like it Thank was you. perfectly constructed, Julius, Diana, you portrayed Deborah in such a phenomenal way. It was it was it was awesome. It was an awesome. Thank project. you so much. So where can people uh find you on the social media? Oh yeah. Uh Instagram you can find me. Diana Maloda. <laughs> Very nice. And what you about you? You can find Julius? me on uh Instagram and Twitter. Uh, my handle's at Clash Act. That's C L A S H A C T. That's our production company. And you can also follow at Shoot Junk Productions, which is our joint company that we produce the film on. Sweet. Oh, yeah. Very sweet. Well, like yeah, I man. said, looking forward to when this film comes out. Everybody, look out, uh, watch their social media for any updates. And are you guys ready to close this out? Yeah, man. Thank yeah. you so much for your time. We got to talk about films sometime, man. I'd love to come on and just. You know, have a conversation with you. I, I can tell we have some of the same taste in films. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. That would be sick. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm looking at your collection behind you. Are these Criterion collections behind you? This DVD set you got there? These? I see DVDs. These are steel books. Something. Oh, they're books. Wait, what are those? Oh, books. Oh, steel books. No, they're okay. I'm going to be, I'm going to be nerdy right now. So like there's movies and like they have a special steel case. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, a little bit of a collector item, but yeah, that's my I love it. my collection. You know, and then uh, I'll say this, and then we'll end the show. Like I don't know about you, but it's like I looked at my I'm putting away like my DVDs and like my Blu-rays, and I'm like I have too many. Like what the hell? Oh man, I want to just I like want to have that problem. This. I made the mistake of getting rid of all my physical media about like I was gonna say I want more physical media, and now I'm like, why did I ever do that? I miss all the physical media. I hate streaming. I I want to put in a Blu-ray. I make I make how much better it looks. Carts all the time. Yeah, exactly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get back on the physical media. So don't get rid of your Blu-rays, and if you do, right. call me. I'll buy them. For you. <laughs> Dude, I used to collect VHS tapes. Dude, me too. And I had a great collection of VHS and DVDs that I I got. I sold them to Warehouse. I don't oh. know if you remember Warehouse. This was a like a record slash video store. Oh my god! DVDs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's like I want to save space, but also I want stuff. And it's like uh, stuck in no man's land. Yeah. Keep the physical media. You'll be happy about it. Keep the physical media. We'll do. Yeah. Don't 
don't fall to the streaming. We need men, we need men like you. That's right. Get yeah. your vinyls and your Blu-rays and your DVDs. Exactly. Get your <laughs> floppy <DLA> discs. Laser <laughs> discs. I still got a mini disc player. You kidding me? <laughs> I have a Walkman still. Hell yes. <laughs> All right. Let's do this. But that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about What Did Deborah Do? Coming out very, very soon. Please check that out when it is available. Once again, thank you, Julius. Thank you, Diana, for coming on to the show. Thank you. It was a blast to have you two on. We'd love to have you on again to talk about movies and such in the future. But if you'd like to keep this conversation going, please add us on your favorite social media platform at Syndicate. That is Syndicate on Instagram and Letterboxd. Or you can join the Discord server where you can catch myself along with other podcasters and listeners talking about this film and others at Syndicate.com forward slash Discord. Until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.